What up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Blazers. I am your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. Today, the rumor mill that isn't really a rumor mill is churning. Check your calendars, y'all. It's June, and it's time for the NBA's, I don't know, rabid fans, insatiable fans, to eat their trade rumors, devour them. So, of course, we get a fake trade rumor. Or, or maybe, like, we just get what is the process of modern-day media aggregation. Allow me to take you there. So, on Bleacher Report, published June 1st, that was Saturday, uh, Greg Schwartz wrote a very reasonable article. The headline is a little convoluted, but I'll read it to you. One trade to help get NBA's best superstars over the top. And Mr. Swartz lays out some fairly reasonable trade scenarios. In which things like Anthony Davis joins the Lakers, Brad Beal gets traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, Mike Conley ends up on the Bucks. But the lead trade in this story is the Portland Trailblazers, your Portland Trailblazers, acquiring Kevin Love in exchange for Maurice Harkless, Myers Leonard, the number 25 overall pick. So that's a fairly reasonable thing to do in the offseason if you write for a sports website to make up fake trades, trade scenarios, uh, reasonable trades that make sense. But then the aggregation machine gets going, and uh, this starts to look more like something the teams are considering. Uh, it gets these weird headlines, uh, mostly on those sort of like retweet machine type reps, websites on Twitter that pop up on your timeline if you follow the wrong people that say like rumor colon, should the Blazers trade for Kevin Love? That's not a rumor. It's a speculation by a writer. So let's go to my favorite place to go. And that is to a beat reporter doing some beat reporting. Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com did a Q&A. One of the second question he got was, of course, would the Cavs trade Kevin Love to the Lakers if it involved the fourth pick in the draft? And Chris, Mr. Fedor, has just a, a fantastic answer for this one. And I'll, I will read it to you verbatim. Uh, it's actually several paragraphs. I'm only going to read the first one. You're not the only one sending me the Kevin Love trade questions, but I don't know how many other ways I can write this response before it resonates. Love is not one of the players the Cavs are looking to deal. They want him here. They believe his professionalism and his leadership are important. He's the kind of player any team should want around a young group because of the daily example he sets. Would the Cavs move him in the right deal? Sure, they would consider it. No one should be labeled untouchable this early into the rebuild. But each time the love question is raised, the same response quickly follows. How are we a better team without Kevin Love? So that's uh, that seems to shut down the idea that the Cavs are interested in trading Kevin Love with the sentence that seems to lay it out there, the Cavs aren't interested in trading Kevin Love. And now I'm not banging on my man Swartz from Leach Report. Like I said, he did a reasonable thing. I'm banging on the aggregator websites for making this into a rumor. It is not a rumor. It is a interesting trade idea. But allow me 
to offer some of my own reporting as someone who has been a beat reporter. Last summer, the Blazers went into the offseason armed with very little of value. They had a bunch of big contracts with multiple years left. They didn't have many enticing young players to make trades. They did not have a high draft pick to do things. The thing they did have was a fairly large trade exception that was going to expire. And they spent much of the early part of the offseason calling around to teams, trying to get them to give away big contract money so they could absorb it with that trade exception, and the Blazers were willing just to pay a fat luxury tax and figure it out. One of the teams that they called last summer was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mind you, this was before Kevin Love signed his massive 40 or $120 million contract or whatever it is. Maybe 121 whatever, $30 million a year, near max deal. A massive new extension to stay with Cleveland after LeBron left, after Kyrie left, whatever. He's the guy who sticks around and is going to be part of the rebuild. So the Blazers were just, while while Love was still on a, an expiring deal, and before this massive contract had had gone had, had gone into play, they made him. They at least made phone calls, inquiring about Kevin Love's availability. At that time, last summer, the Cavs told them they did told the Blazers they did not want to make that trade. Because they thought if Kevin Love was on the roster, they would be a playoff team. And making the playoffs in the East, it's a fairly low bar for the eighth seed. And they thought with the group that they had, particularly if Kevin Love was healthy, they would make the playoffs in the East and that was worth it to them financially. Obviously, they gave Kevin Love a huge deal. That changes plenty of the calculations. But even a year ago, the Cavs weren't interested in trading Kevin Love. Now that they've committed over $100 million to him, they're still not interested in trading for, trading Kevin Love. Is it an interesting trade idea, as Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report suggested? It certainly is. It answers a position of need for the Blazers. They need a better power forward, probably, if they're going to take uh, a step forward in being a, a, a title contention type team, as opposed to a um, Western Conference final Cinderella. Uh, they, they probably could use some outside shooting, some sort of individual offense, the type of thing Love creates. Uh, I think age-wise, he kind of fits the bill. He's ready to play now. Uh, that's obviously ignoring his long-standing injury history. He didn't play a ton last year. When he did play, the Cavs were pretty good. That's why the Cavs wanted to keep him. It's not a trade rumor. It's interesting speculation. It's something the Blazers even explored last year, as I just laid out. But it wasn't going to happen last year. It wasn't going to happen 12 months ago. Sounds like nothing has changed 12 months later, here in June 2019. But that is the beauty of the rumor mill, y'all. That is what summer basketball is all about. It's about strange aggregating that makes it seem like people are getting traded. Uh, And sorry to get on my extremely Brian Windhorst high horse about aggregation. I myself have done plenty of it in my media jobs. Um, I just think it's a silly way to generate content when you could say, is this a good trade idea presented by Bleacher Report? You know, you can steal content in a responsible way. You can aggregate content in a responsible way. Okay, I'm getting off my soapbox. Okay, cool. I'm back off. Okay, now that I'm off the uh, soapbox, I can tell you what we're going to talk about in the second segment. 
Uh, Blazers held their first pre-draft workout. Uh, not a lot of big names, but I think the fact that there weren't a lot of sort of sexy names gives you maybe some insight into what draft season is going to look like in Blazer land. So that's what we'll talk about when we get back. But before we do that, uh, Lockdown Blazers is brought to you by some sponsors this week. I want to tell you about them. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Also, Untuck It is sponsoring Lockdown this week. If you're looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com and use the promo code NBA to get 20% off. And finally, Lockdown Blazers is brought to you by Grip 6 Belts. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap. It's a great Father's Day gift, so go to grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. That's grip6.com slash lock. Get the best deal today. The Blazers held their first pre-draft workout of the offseason on Saturday. Uh, it was a star-studded affair, if you like people who are going to get drafted in the second round or not at all. Uh, highlighted by Arizona State guard Lugans Dort, uh, Wake Forest forward Jalen Horde was also involved, and St. John's guard Shamari Pons. Those are the only three guys uh, in Sam Vecini's top 100. Pretty much most of the top 100 rankings was the only three dudes who make the cut. Others who were involved in the workout include Memphis guard Jeremiah Martin and Wichita State forward uh, Marcus McDuffie and Shaw guard Amir Hinton. Guard-heavy, wing-heavy group. Not a lot of big dudes. Don't think the Blazers are in the market for a young, big dude. You can mark that down in things we learned in the first draft workout. Also, what we learned is that where the Blazers stand right now in the draft, they're going to have a... It would be surprising if they get guys who are sort of the late teens type of guys to come all the way out to Portland. They're going to have to seen those dudes on their own. Uh, Lugans Dort is like the only was the only guy in at that workout who's like a projected first round pick. Even he's probably right on the borderline of a first round pick. You know, NBA size, NBA type body, but maybe not an NBA skill set. Not a shooter. And allow me for a moment to be transparent about this. I don't really watch college basketball. I'm a huge uh, North Carolina Tar Heels fan. I watch every Carolina game. If your team played against Carolina, I saw you play once. If they're Duke, I saw them play against Carolina three times. If they're Virginia, I saw them play <laughs> twice. Um, but like, I don't see, I don't watch a ton of basketball guys. So when I'm giving this sort of scouting report, I am reading it from somewhere, uh, likely ESPN or The Athletic or. Uh, NBA DraftNet or one of those um, just sort of quick hitter scouting sites. I'm I'm re- reading it. I am I am aggregating in real time, reading a couple scouting reports from a couple different services and seeing what people say. So I don't know. I've never seen Lugan Stewart play. I watched a, a short highlight of him prior to recording this podcast. He made all of his shots in the highlight. Seemed like he could get to the rim. Okay, but I. I I don't want to spend this podcast talking specifically about him or specifically about any prospect. I think if we learned anything from what the first draft workout 
looked like in Portland. It's that maybe the Blazers are, at least to some extent, bringing in second-round guys and considering if they were to move that pick, what the second round has in store. Um, the second round could be more valuable for them because it could be cheaper. I mentioned this before, but they would like to shed, at least my read on it is they would like to shed about $2 million bucks and get below the tax line and offer Rodney Hood or or potentially Ennis Cantor, but Rodney Hood is my read. Uh, the the tax or the mid level exception, not the taxpayer mid level. Give him like a nine million dollar contract annually. I think that's their goal. I don't think their goal is to bring in another young guy. So the reason why they might be bringing in a lot of guys who are kind of on the edge of that top one hundred uh, or you know projected second round picks is because maybe their goal is to not even use that first round pick. But I think. I do think there's stuff to be learned from how the Blazers conduct these draft things. Um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, you know, when they drafted Zach Collins, they pretty much worked out all the guys that they uh, quote unquote drafted in, or on behalf of uh, on behalf of Sacramento and then traded traded, you know, swap picks with Sacramento to get up to 10 and get Zach Collins. But last year when they drafted Anthony Simons, they on their final draft workout, day of the of the cycle last year they brought Simons back in for a second workout and it was at the time it was pretty it was clear they like this kid and then they went and picked him with the with a you know with their late round pick so you can if you pay attention to the the types of guys who are coming in you can kind of get a sense for where they're going you know on this one it looks like you know more guards athletes they'll probably they'll probably look at at um, you know, maybe not true centers, but bigger guys, power forwardy types at some point in one of these, they'll have a couple more this week. But if they bring guys back twice, it's meaningful. You know, it, uh, if they bring in like only late round guys, I think it could be meaningful. You could, it could be more of an indication that they are, they are moving off of that pick or going to do their best to move off that pick, not make that selection get back into the second round, maybe get a maybe get a future first, maybe just trade it for two second rounders, whatever they want to do. Maybe they're you know, maybe they're looking to to package that pick um, you know, with a contract and also get back a second round pick, get cheaper, still get a player, whatever it is. But I think the thing to pay attention to as more of these draft workouts come up is sort of what range of the guys they working out in are they working out all guys who are projected to go in the mid 20s who are they like who are they're like reasonably targeting um either to to draft themselves or 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 to trade or are they looking at sort of a second round type dudes i feel like that's all you can learn it's going to be an underwhelming draft nobody i talked to um basketball executives when the season was still going anybody i asked um, you know, I hadn't really seen John Morant play at the time. It was pre NCAA tournament when I had most of these conversations, um, because it's harder to have those sort of casual chats in the playoffs. And I said, is John Morant good? And most of the executives or, and or types of, um, front office types that I, I talked to would say, oh yeah, he's really, he's, he's going to be really good. I mean, what about the rest of the draft? They weren't super excited beyond Zion and Ja, um, 
I think I think people are relatively split from who I've spoken to on on RJ Barrett and then there's going to be someone who pops in the rest of the first round but um I don't think much of the league is super excited about the rest of the draft which means that maybe the Blazers don't have a ton of draft capital picking as late as they are in the first round you know maybe that 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 pick doesn't have much juice and so perhaps they just they too aren't super excited about the future of that draft pick and and are trying to get out from under it. I'm of course speculating only in this section. Um, I did some I gave you some real reporting in the first section. This is some straight up speculation and very ironically some real live me aggregating from draft websites. So I banged on aggregators and then I did some aggregating. That is the cycle of media life. In the third segment, I want to talk a little bit about what we've learned from the NBA Finals and how those lessons can be applied to the Bla- this Blazer team and, and how they should approach this offseason. Before I do that, though, I want to remind you guys that Lockdown Blazers is available everywhere you get podcasts. That's on Google Play, the Apple Store, the Apple App Store, and iTunes. It's also on Stitcher and Spotify, but it's also on the new podcast app, Himalaya. encourage you guys to check Himalaya out. It's free to download, easy to use. They've got curated playlists so you can uh, build a playlist with all your favorite podcasts, either by episode or by show. Uh, it's got features on there so you can follow your friends, see what they're listening to, discover new stuff. And of course, all your favorite Locked On shows are on there. So download the Himalaya app today on Google Play or the Apple App Store. And while you're there, subscribe to Locked On Blazers. All right, welcome back. Still Mike Richmond, still Locked On Blazers. So I just finished watching on DVR because I'm a modern human. Game two of the NBA Finals. And the thing that I was struck by is how kind of gassed everyone looked in those last five minutes. Warriors couldn't score. Uh, Obviously, some of that was the goofy box-in-one defense that Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors had deployed. I guess Nick Nurse deployed it, but Fred Van Vliet executed it, playing some real box-in-one, looking like uh, my rec league teams from the 90s when there was only one star. Let's take this fool out. But that's, you know, that uh, the Warriors only had one dude on offense who was really who could really do anything, and so it was, it was useful. But they couldn't score. On the other end, the Raptors seemingly had a million chances, kept getting their own offensive rebound, couldn't score. Kawhi had a bunch of good looks. Van Vliet had a bunch of good looks. Thought Siakam and, and, and Ibaka both got inside and could have scored on a couple possessions the last five minutes. Both teams kind of looked tired. And that was a common refrain I heard from uh, fans and media alike during the Blazers' run in the playoffs. And I think if there's anything that the Blazers learned as they made their push to the Western Conference Finals where they got swept by one of the best teams of the decade, even shorthanded, the best team of the decade, but one of the best teams of the last 20 years, Probably one of the best teams of all time. Now that I'm, I'm really thinking about this, but before they, before they got swept by the Warriors, and and even in that Warriors series, they looked gassed. And I think if they learned anything in this, this playoff run, 
is just how much juice it takes to make it where they want to go. Now, I don't know if there's a solution necessarily. I think the solution would be to have more talent up and down the roster so you can give Dame and CJ natural rest in the season. I've heard a lot of fans say, you know, they got to find a way to rest Dame. Listen, guys, I think that is a noble idea, but there's no way if you watch this team regularly that you have any faith that games he sits out, they can win against almost any opponent. Sure, they did it this year. You know, CJ had a, had a nice little triple-double game. But even that one, the Blazers didn't pull away and win easily. They ended up winning fine against a bad team. That's unfair. The Hawks aren't that bad of a team. <laughs> CJ did get a triple-double against a pretty good team that lost a ton of games. I just like the Hawks. They had a bad record. But I don't. I did. My point is more largely that just like there aren't a lot of nights where you can where you can say Dame take the night off, CJ take the night off, and expect to win. The Raptors could do it because they have more depth. Uh, load management became sort of the 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 word of the day, the word of the year. Excuse me, in the NBA this year, and the Raptors were the kings of it. They kind of designed. Kawhi's whole season around him taking 15 nights off but they also have enough depth on that roster to overcome it Kyle Lowry can really play they won a lot of games where Kyle Lowry was the engine while Kawhi was out Pascal Siakam developed into a borderline all-star should have made the all-star team in my opinion over even Kyle Lowry but hey what are you gonna do They've always, they always had two bigs who could play, either Ibaka or Jonas Valanciunas. Obviously, Valanciunas missed a bunch of games when he was injured. But for the most part, uh, two bigs who could play. Uh, they got a, Danny Green, who's one of the best defenders in the league. They have depth. They have depth. Fred Van Vliet can really play. DeLon Wright, before he got traded, was a really useful bench player. At various other times, C.J. Miles and Norman Powell have been somewhat playable. O.G. Ananobi during the regular season was useful. Their secret sauce was having enough depth to let Kawhi rest. And that allowed him to be, I don't know, close to as good as you can be. He's obviously kind of dragging one leg in the finals. But if you don't give him those 15 nights off a year, he's probably he probably can't drag that leg right past Philly. Golden State on the other side looks tired. They look gassed. Uh, obviously they're dealing with a whole nother world of just the emotional and physical toll of playing in five consecutive NBA finals. That's um, a whole nother bird. And they're, and they're super shorthanded. Uh, you know, they lost more players tonight. Clay Thompson's hamstring, Kevin Looney's injury. Uh, obviously, Kevin Durant's still out. Boogie Cousins is working his way back from that quad injury, and he played 28 minutes tonight roughly without looking at a box score, 26-plus, and he looked gassed at the end of the game. Both teams look tired in those last five minutes. It takes so much to get to that. To be playing in June, it takes so much. Uh, you know, if you'll recall the, the, when the Warriors blew that 3-1 lead, the last three and a half minutes of Game 7 of that were a slog. Neither team could score. Obviously, LeBron blocked it, made a wild block, and then Kyrie hit an incre- incredible shot. But that's as literally as long as you can play into the season. Game 7 of the NBA Finals, and both teams looked exhausted. I think if the Blazers learned anything during this run, is they got to find a way to have more juice 
both physically and emotionally when they get to the playoffs because the toll it takes on you is uh, maybe one they hadn't experienced before. And they probably need to find a way to build the roster to be slightly deeper to be able to give their best players more natural nights off during the season. Dame probably played too many minutes this year, but he didn't play too many minutes because the Blazers were irresponsible. He played too many minutes because the Blazers' roster could not make up for what they would lose without him. And because over the final two weeks of the season, they were in a real push for home court advantage in the playoffs, something I believe they desperately needed. And because Nurk and CJ went down. Their trick has to be... Their goal, this trick isn't the right word at all. Their goal this offseason has to be to get a little bit deeper with a little more offensive creativity around the edges of their roster to rest Dame and have guys who can go get buckets. You know, maybe that happens because Anthony Simon magically matures. The The difference in 19 and 20 could be huge for him. Maybe it happens because Zach Collins takes that big year three step. Maybe it happens because... Myers Leonard, what he showed in those final two games against Golden State is something he can at least reasonably get close to as an offensive player and floor spacer. But even then, I think what they need to learn, what they need to, what they should take with them from that playoff run is just how much mental energy it takes and be ready to save that mental energy up and maybe not blow it on waving Russell Westbrook out of the playoffs. I don't know if you can do much about a seven-game series against the Nuggets. That's going to take a lot anyways. But I think you can steal some a little bit in the regular season. I think you can figure out ways to be smarter about how you use that emotional energy in the playoffs. And that can help them. And I think you watch these two teams in the NBA Finals, and they look a little bit gassed too. Everyone's going to be tired there. You just got to be good when you're tired. That's what the Blazers should have learned from the playoffs. Appreciate you guys listening. Sorry for my aggregation rant. But uh, I believe what I believe. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. They can find it wherever they get podcasts. There's more draft stuff coming this week. I'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.